Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. Well, it's so good to be home. Honestly, if there was a home church that I would consider as a home church for me and Aileen, it would be here. It's just a pity we we don't live nearby. But uh, this is the only church I preach at in Scotland that I don't use Google Maps to find it. (laughs) Right? They know exactly where you are. Um, So it's great to be back here this morning and um, I'm conscious that not all of you will be aware of the work of sports chaplaincy so to begin with I'm going to share a little bit about that Um, and I'm going to show you some slides and different things and give you a little bit about the history. Um, If you know the history is a song that I know that Dave is very familiar with and quite likes, Brian not quite so much but uh, if you know the history is a good way to start because Actually, when you understand the history of sports chaplaincy in Scotland, it makes you recognise how much it is entirely of God's doing and an absolute miracle. If you look at the history of England and Scotland in relationship to the church's connection with sport, it could not be more different. Down south, during the Victorian era, uh, during the Industrial Revolution, a lot of people were moving out of rural communities into urbanized communities, into big cities. And the church was finding they were losing connection with people. And so a lot of churches at that time hit on the idea, why don't we start a football club or a cricket club or rugby, but mostly it was football. So clubs like Aston Villa, Tottenham Hotspur, Southampton, Fulham, uh, Queen's Park Rangers, Everton, some really big clubs in England were started by evangelical churches wanting to reach out into their community. My favorite story is of this vicar's daughter. And her dad had moved into a really rough inner city area and they were kind of really doing a lot of pioneering work there. And she couldn't help but notice a bunch of lads that were up to no good on a Friday night, probably drinking air equivalent of Bucky, on the street corners, getting into fights. And she thought, I'm gonna get these boys together and I'm gonna start a football team. That's what she did. She found this bit of waste ground and they must have used jackets for posts as we used to do in the olden days. And she started to minister to these young lads, started a football team. Turned out they weren't any bad. They're called Manchester City. <laughs> Probably the best team in the world right now was started by the church. And, and it's incredible when you look at the legacy. The first football league in the world was apparently started in England, but what folk don't realize was it was a Scottish Christian who started it, a guy called William McGregor, who was the president of Aston Villa. The first president of the English FA was a Christian. And so you look at football in England and you see the roots are very much in the church. Hence, when it comes to the FA Cup final, they still sing abide with me as a nod to the church's influence. It's a great story. Until you come north of the border, it's a wee bit different. If I tell you that only two football clubs in Scotland were started by a church, one of them was Glasgow Celtic and the other was Edinburgh Hibernian. You don't have to be a church historian to know it wasn't the Prodies that were involved in this, right? Because the reality was that the Protestant Evangelical Church at that time and until fairly recently looked on with a great degree of suspicion on this developing sport called football, saw it as a spiritual distraction, regarded it as something that had to be sinful because people were enjoying it. 
That was pretty much the flavor within the nation here. And so there was this massive chasm actually between the Protestant evangelical church and the world of football. And, and then the only kind of influence that religion began to have on football really led to sectarianism and bigotry with the two clubs that I don't even need to mention, but you know what I'm talking about. And so there was, from the football club's perspective and point of view, there was a real kind of suspicion of the church. Massive chasm. Just to illustrate this, when I first became a pastor in 1988, were you born then, Dave? Six, great. That's just make me feel wonderful. Great. So when Dave was six, I became a pastor, right? And I remember going to visit a, a retired deacon from the church. After my visit, I just thanked the Lord that he was retired because he did nothing but moan the whole visit about the worldliness that had come into the church. So this was in Paisley, right? So I'm sitting down and, and he says to me, honestly, he says, the world's just, the world's just going to pot. So the church is going to pot. He says, I'll tell you how bad things are. He says, just last week, I saw a deacon from the Baptist church coming out of Love Street football ground. What do you think of that? And I said, St. Martin? Nah, not for me. Nah, nah, I'm with you on that. He says, you, you, don't, you don't watch football, do you? I said, not exactly, I support Partick Thistle. It's not quite the same level, you know, as football. But, um, and he says, but, but you're a pastor. How can you possibly be a pastor, let alone a Christian, and go to football matches? What about that bad language? I says, you know what? I could walk down Paisley High Street and hear worse. And I says, the good thing about Partick Thistle is they're not doing so well just now, and there's not many folk there. And I'm more likely to hear a dog bark in Maryhill Road than I am hear somebody swear. I says, so you can sit somewhere where you don't hear a thing. And he says, well, let me ask you this then. And if you're from a brethren background, you're going to love this, right? You, you'll, know, you'll know where this is going. He says to me, how would you feel if you were sitting in that stadium and at half time, Jesus returned and you were sitting there? I says, you know what? Thistle are playing so badly just now that if Jesus returned at half time and got me out of there, it would be a blessing. <laughs> Saved me 45 minutes of purgatory, you know? Um, but he just wasn't convinced. And now he was very concerned that the, the church had a, a worldly pastor, you know? And that would have been the flavor, even amongst a lot of Christians in that time. Fast forward 10 years, I become the pastor at what is now called South Community Church. What a different story, because at this time, I got the opportunity to become the chaplain of Partick Thistle. And I was a little bit nervous about running it by the deacons. What would they think of that? Would they see it as a distraction, time away from the church? The attitude was unbelievable, probably because every single leader on the leadership team was either on a missions board, had been a missionary, but everyone incredibly mission-minded. And not only were they really excited about the prospect and the opportunity, of me becoming a chaplain at Partick Thistle, they also said, we'll cover your expenses as well. Bless them. And they completely, not only blessed, but encouraged and released me to continue this work. And we saw some tremendous opportunities arise from that. We used to have a meal at the Coachman Hotel called Food for Thought. And the criteria for you as a Christian to come to that meal was that you had to bring along one of your non-church friends. If you just came yourself, you weren't getting in, right? But if you brought someone that wasn't church, that wasn't a Christian, you could come. And we ended up having a couple of dozen uh, players and management from Partick Thistle along at that. They'd often come to, to church services and, and it was just a great opportunity. 
And over the years, we began to really see, you know, God do some great stuff, which I'll, I'll share with you later. But just, have we got the slide up there, guys, yet? Can we get that up? There we go. So, if you know the history. So it starts back 1998 at Partick Thistle, or as I like to call them, Glasgow Football Club. Uh, you would only get that really if you're a Jags fan because for us there's only one team in Glasgow. Um, I'm going to try and win this forward. Now, the one thing is that this isn't working. So, Kenny, you're just going to just keep battering away at that and uh, even if you go ahead of me, it's okay. This is when I first started. This is what chaplaincy does to you. Right, just, I'm just warning you, Brian, you've got a nice head of hair there the now, but you've only been at Kilsyth Rangers a few years, it'll come. This is what chaplaincy does. And it was great, because at Partick Thistle, um, they got me my own kit, as you can see in the front there, Rev. And the kit men were a couple of comics. They thought it would be fun to put on the back my name, or at least their interpretation. So in the back of my kit was God's wee mate. <laughs> that was me running about for how with that training at Partick Thistle. It was great, loved it. Um, when I started at Partick Thistle, uh, we went on an amazing run of form, actually. We won six out of seven games and drew the other one. And such was the impact that one of the directors came up to me and he says, Mark, he says, eh, listen, see, before you came, I was an atheist, but now I believe. He says, it's the only explanation for the run of form that we are on. We have never had this in our history, such consistency. God is a jag, I'm convinced. <laughs> he says, so, he says, I'm, I'm all in with this. I'm all in with this believing stuff now. And I says, Tom, Tom, I says, I really appreciate, you know, your, your, your kind expression there, but I says, I have to be honest with you and tell you, it's nothing to do with me, actually. I said, I'm not a witch doctor. I'm not praying for results. I says, you've got to give the credit to the manager and the players. They're the ones doing the business. So I thought I should be humble in that moment. Really glad that I was, because we get beat six out of the next eight games. <laughs> and the manager get fired, and I'd have been out the door with him. So, but we're always very, very careful to say to chaplains, if you don't take the credit, you don't get the blame, right? So even if they go in a good run of form. So it was great, really had a good time at Partick Thistle. Discovered there was a few other clubs in Scotland, had chaplains. They were maybe doing things a little bit differently. Uh, one or two were maybe of a similar kind of ethos to what I was doing, but none of us had any formal training, and if we're honest, didn't have a clue what we were doing. So when I found out that Manchester United, next slide, had a chaplain, uh, I got in touch with this fellow here, John Boyers, and uh, John came up, spoke in our church, and, and uh, basically told me what he did at Manchester United. He'd worked with Sir Alex Ferguson from, from he started at Man United, and what I really realized was that we were actually doing exactly the same stuff here. We just put a kilt on it. You know, we, we, we just did it in an appropriate way within Scotland, um, given the secular nature of, of, of what it's like here compa compared to England. And so he really encouraged me. He says, Mark, why don't you go and whenever you're playing against another team, tell them about what you do and encourage them to go down the route of having a chaplain themselves. So very organically, this began to happen. We had a player at Partick Thistle. He left to go to Kilmarnock, went behind the scenes there and phoned me up this day and says, Mark, we could really do with somebody that does what you do at Thistle. Can you get us somebody? So next slide. First appointment was a very good friend of mine, Neil Urquhart, who went into Kilmarnock in 2004. And then it just began to organically grow. Um, the SFA, invited me down to the UEFA A license, next slide, and um, just to give a talk on what we did as chaplains, and I, I had this talk more than two legs on a Saturday, and what I basically said to them was, guys, you've all played at a high level, you know yourself what it's like to be treated just like a physical commodity, 
doesn't do much for you. But if somebody really cares for you in terms of your mental needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, and looks after you and makes you feel valued as a human being, you'll respond well to that, eh? Well, if you have a chaplain, as a manager, you might just find that you get a better player out of this. And what I found was that they, they, they really bit on it. I had players, I'm talking about big name players that you'd be familiar with, who would come up to me, I remember one player in tears saying to me, Mark, I wish to goodness I'd had that when I'd played. He says, I'll have a chaplain right now for who I'm managing. And so we just began to really grow. And uh, it just happened very organically. It got to the stage where the church in Kosei very graciously released me for two days a week. We got some funding in for that. Uh, but all that did was actually encourage more growth. And so it just began to, sh not just within the professional men's, but what next happened was really significant. What I'm really excited about, given the fact that three of your four chaplains are females at female football clubs. Come on, the women. But... Uh, I was at the UA for a license this particular uh, year and their manager from Hibernian Women was there, uh, next slide, and, um, and Willie came up to me and he says, what about women's football? Now at that stage, I didn't have much of a clue about women's football, I must be honest. I was probably as ignorant as most men would be back then about what it was like. And in my head, forgive me for two seconds, I'm thinking, ah mate, you're not really getting this. This is for people that play football seriously. Right? Um, so I, I went a lot, he says, I, I wouldn't really know how to prepare a chaplain for a women's team. I don't know the issues that you'd be facing. He says, well, come along and pilot it yourself. So I did. So in one of the photos there, if you look close enough and you're into women's football, you'll notice the player next to me is a Claire Emsley, who's one of the national team's best players now. There's another player in there, Chelsea Cornette, who Kirsty will know as well, who also plays for Scotland. And do you know what? I just could not believe the technical ability of these players. I was thoroughly rebuked about how ignorant I was, how good the women's game actually really was and can be. And so as I worked with them, I began to get really passionate about women's football and passionate that they would get the same value and resources as the men got. And uh, at that time, I was studying my master's in sports chaplaincy. I did my final dissertation um, on issues surrounding women's football in Scotland and the, and the impact of chaplaincy and, and became chaplain to the national team as well and really started to champion women's football. And I realized that one of the key things was we needed females for female teams. And so uh, Katrina became my replacement at Hibs. Uh, and you'll notice a couple of people in the photo there as well. Uh, Kirsten, of course, at Rangers, Elise at Glasgow Women, Marianne at, at Falkirk, and uh, you'll, no you'll notice maybe Alison McLeod. I think Alison's daughters come here, don't they? Yeah? Oh, brilliant. Alison's girls here today? No? Playing hooky? Gone to that, Dave. Um, but yeah, so now what we've done is just about every SWPL team, and in fact, any SPFL team that has a women's counterpart, we try and get a chaplain in there. Um, because it's been so exciting to be part of the, the journey of seeing women's football develop. But then, not only SPFL, then other clubs began to ask about it as well. So, Kenny, if you just rattle through the rest of these. Um, 
clubs in the women's football, but Highland League, Lowland League, East of Scotland League, West of Scotland League, um, where Brian is with Kilsyth Rangers, uh, Midlands League. And today, we have about 140 football club chaplains in Scotland. So it wouldn't surprise you to know I had to go full time to look after this. And even more so now to have Stuart on board as Assistant National Director. But not only are we in football, we're now in other sports as well. We have a chaplain in cricket, we have a chaplain, we have a number of chaplains actually in rugby. This is Ben Thorpe. You might not have heard of him. You might have heard of his cousin, Ian Thorpe, the torpedo, great swimmer. Yeah, that was Ben's cousin. Um, ben says he's a better swimmer than him, but there you go. Uh, what else have we got up there? We've got uh, our very good friend, me and Dave's very good friend, Brandon Newman. Uh, Glasgow Rocks, as they used to be now, Caledonia Gladiators, the only Scottish professional basketball team and winners of the BBL Cup, which was brilliant. Anyone recognise this sport? Shinty, well done. See, some folk would think hockey because of the sticks. So Shinty, if you're not familiar with Shinty, it's like hockey with no rules, right? It's, it's the most dangerous sport in Scotland and that's just to watch it, right? It's brutal, but it's been amazing the doors that God's opened up in Argyll and in the Highlands, it's probably next to football the fastest growing area in sports chaplaincy. I think we have about 14. It's amazing the doors that God's opening all over Scotland. So I think in total, if we can keep up with about 165 chaplains just now, I think we're putting in about 30 over this summer. So it's really, really exciting the doors that God is opening and the stories that are coming from the clubs and from the chaplains as to how God is using them. So why do we do it? What's it all about? Well, this is really where we come to God's word. And my favorite scripture to describe what we do as chaplains is Matthew 5 and 13. So let's just read that just now. Matthew 5 and 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the salt of the earth. That's a real compliment in this part of Scotland, isn't it? We love that when somebody says of us, ah, he's a salt of the earth. It means that he's humble, unpretentious, you know, easygoing, not Billy big time. But when Jesus said this, this was not meant as a compliment, it was meant as a commission. It wasn't meant as a compliment, it was meant as a challenge. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, and they would have went, whoa, Really? Us? Why would they have reacted in that way? Because in Jesus' day, salt was a precious commodity. Unlike today where it's cheap and easily obtainable and just used, you know, willy-nilly. Back in those days, it was absolutely essential for life, for survival. Actually, to preserve food would be one of its main purposes. So back in those days, they wouldn't have electricity so they wouldn't have refrigeration, so they wouldn't have any means of preserving food products such as meat and fish, except by soaking it in a salt solution. And what would happen is that as it was soaked in a salt solution, the salt would draw out the moisture from the meat or the fish, and it would stop it from putrefying, it would kill the bad bacteria. And so really what the purpose of salt was in those days was as a means of preserving, sustaining, keeping something, Good. And I believe that's one of the key roles that we have as football chaplains in a world which is ruthless and is brutal. 
a world where many people think, oh, you know, football, eh? I mean, these lads kick around a ball for 90 minutes and get paid silly money for it. Great job, that. If only it were as simple as that. There's a very small handful of footballers would fall into that category. And even them, you know, a bad injury, eh, a change of manager, a poor run of form can see them kicked out the door. It's a ruthless and it's a brutal environment. If they say that a week is a long time in politics, 90 minutes is a longer time in football. And the more professional the game gets, the more ruthless and brutal it becomes. And so what we do as chaplains is we go in there with something different. We bring in something of God's grace. We bring something of God's value system. Um, in football or any sport, your value is utterly determined by your recent performances and results. And so that can change week to week. And so your value fluctuates. You can be worth millions one week and the next season you can be given a free transfer. That's the way it works because your value is so fluctuating. People will shout things at you they'd get jailed for in a street corner and not just shout things at you, but social media. It it's, can be pretty tough. And so if you look to that for your sense of value, your head's going to be all over the place with it. You're going to be up and down. So what we do is we come in, and the way the world works is I'll treat you the way you treat me. What we do is we treat you the way God's treated us. We'll give you a little taste, because salt doesn't just sustain, it flavors, it savors. And so as salt of the earth as we go in, we give them a taste of God by how we treat them, by how we love them, by how we value them. And the value that God places in you and I is the blood of his son, Jesus. That's what we're worth to him. We're worth dying for. That's why the Bible says that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb. You are worth dying for. That's how much he loves you. And if we were the only individuals who lived, Jesus would still have died. We know that, we rejoice in it. And isn't it wonderful that when we respond to what Jesus has done on the cross by inviting him into our lives to be our Lord, to be our saviour, to be our friend, then at that point we are accepted fully by God. And here's the thing, our value doesn't fluctuate because God's value system is based on his grace. So that means when I accept Christ, God accepts me and I get 10 out of 10 every day for the rest of eternity in Jesus, not because of me, not because of my righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus with which I am now robed. So when God looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness and says, that is enough for me. You're mine forever. And so because his value of us does not fluctuate because it's based on his grace, then we live out of the overflow of God's grace and we just treat them as they've treated us. Win, lose, draw, it matters not because ultimately they're human beings made in the image of God and that's how we see them. And in the midst of that, as we treat them like that, that's where the opportunities come. I'll tell you a couple of stories um, to illustrate that. So one of, the, one of the players at that time at Thistle, uh, a lad called Jamie, said to me this day in the dressing room, he says, Rev, do you day wanes? Now, I knew what he meant, right? I mean, I did have a couple myself, but I, I knew what he meant. Um, he was really essentially looking for a naming ceremony for his little, little child, you know? And uh, I says, yeah, I says, in our church, says, we have a blessing service where we open up to folk in the community. 
Um, and I says, you know, the baby comes along, we, we kind of just celebrate who they are, their name, we unpack what it means, and we, we speak over their life, God's blessing and protection, and just trust that in God's time that they'll come to know him. And, and same with the parents. Right, okay. I says, so you're very welcome to come up to Kilsyth and, and we'll do that. And he says, oh, I don't really live that nearby, Rev, he says. And, and I'd feel really embarrassed standing in front of all the people I don't know. And I probably wouldn't be back. Would you do it in my house? I said, aye, of course I would, not a problem. That's what it's all about. It's all about the salt getting out the salt shaker, isn't it? That's what it's all about. That's, and I realized in that moment, God's calling me to get the salt out of the salt shaker where it's needed most. Absolutely. But then the next week he came back to me at training and says, Rev, I've had a wee think, right? And I've spoke to the boys and I want all the boys there too, all the players. My house isn't big enough. So I've rented a function suite in Tiger Tiger nightclub in Glasgow. <laughs> Are we still on for this? Now the salt was really out the salt shaker. Ha, ah, but it gets, it develops further. He says, and, and I've planned it for next Sunday night. I'm thinking, I've got a service next Sunday night in KCC. What am I going to do here? So I thought, right, I need to run it by the leaders. I did. And they said, it's inconvenient, but it's a no-brainer. It's an opportunity. What would Jesus do? And they blessed me to go. Not only that, they said, see, see if they went a little bit of church with them. So I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. So I said to Jamie, I says, Jamie, mate, we've got a really good worship band. I says, how about I bring them with me? We do a wee bit of church for you. You know, not participation, but more presentation type stuff. Would you do that, Rev? Aye. I says, what's more? We've got a street dance team. Remember the street dance team? So my two daughters were in it, right? They used to dance this Christian hip-hop stuff. They were actually very good. Um, I says, why don't I bring my street dance team? We'll do a bit of, you know, street dance for you as well. That's brilliant. I says, I'll tell you what, we've got a puppet team. A pu <laughs> like, we've got a puppet show. We could do the puppets for you as well. By this stage, I had about 30 people from KCC down at Tiger Tiger Nightclub, and we basically took it over. I love it when the church does that. I love it when we, when we just take over and just then you've got loads of opportunity for salt, you know? So that's what we did. We had a great night. Uh, the gospel was shared in lots of different ways. And at the end of the night, I'm standing up at the bar with one of the, the players and he says to me, Rev, that was amazing tonight. He says, you've really got me thinking now about stuff. You know, see before tonight, I could never really make a connection between you and church because like, you're all right. Makes you think, doesn't it? Makes you think. I guarantee the vast majority of people in Kirky have no idea this is this good. Like, honestly, you could, you could easily invite mates into here without embarrassment. You can't always say that of every church. Um, but you could hear, do you know? But they don't know. And so just to invite people is great. But do you know, we need to get out of the salt shaker. Because see, if we don't, you know what happens? I mean, I, I really take this as quite a challenge. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We've all got that wee jar of salt, that wee salt shaker in the back of our kitchen cupboard that we've forgotten about, that we discover three years later after using it the last time. And what happens with the salt? It becomes soggy because it's drawing the moisture out of the air and it's tasteless and it's useless and we chuck it out. Let me tell you something. I believe Jesus is doing that with his church today. I do genuinely. I believe that where you have a church that doesn't engage with its community, that's just this little holy huddle that gathers on a Sunday and has every blockage to people coming in possible, they're dying out. 
And I don't believe it's just happening naturally. I think Jesus is putting their lights out. Thank God for churches like this that get it, that get the need to be out there in their community. I thank the Lord that, you know, see in the past, right, I had a number of challenges over the years of developing sports chaplaincy, right? First one was convincing football clubs, etc., that it would be a good idea having a chaplain. But God just began to open up doors, largely through the tremendous work the chaplains were doing. Whose mobile is that? Great. Uh, some ringtone. Anyway, so my next challenge was actually then convincing churches of the merits of releasing people to go into this because they're like, well, but that's the night our prayer meeting's on. That's the night our Bible study's on. I mean, they're going to be mixing with non-Christians. I used to call them COVID Christians. They were isolated so they couldn't spread the gospel. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, there was that challenge of, of convincing them. Now it's, it's just a whole new, it's just a whole new scene. For the first time probably ever in the last probably couple of years, there are now people getting it and actually applying to become chaplains, which is brilliant. Churches asking for the opportunity of getting involved. Why? Because they recognize that they've got the opportunity of building a bridge into their local community through the major community hub, which is usually the football club or the shinty club or whatever other sport it happens to be. This is cutting edge mission today, folks. So bless you for releasing the people in your church to do this. I bless Pastor Dave because honestly, he's no joking when he says that I contact him and I need a chaplain. I phoned him up a few weeks ago, but a month ago I think it was, he was away up to Aberdeen to Jesus' house to do a conference. I says, mate, see when you're there, going to get me a chaplain because uh, I need one for Banks of D Football Club. On it, mate. That weekend gives me this number, Charles Ig Igbalokator. What an absolute quality guy, a Nigerian fella who's now the chaplain at Banks of D and smashing it. And I thank God for people like Dave that are mission-minded, that are prepared to release their people into this mission field because it's not about how many souls are in here, it's about how many souls you're reaching out there. Amen? So bless you, Dave, for being willing to release your people to do that. One final little story. Have I got time for one more story? One me story, what will I tell you? Okay, I'll tell This is some of the shenanigans you can get involved with, right? Because one of the things I'm always at pains to point out to the chaplains is that there's a way to do it and there's, there's a way not to do it. And I'm an expert in the latter, right? So I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to illustrate how to do chaplaincy and how not to do it. So the first one is, one of the things you find as a chaplain is that sometimes you're at a club and depending on the nature of the club, they can really take the mickey, you know? And you need to have quite thick skin. That's important. You can't take yourself too seriously, right? So at Partick Thistle, we had this particular player who was always trying to wind me up. He was always saying things like, see if we get a penalty on Saturday, I'm going to ask Satan to help me to score. Are you all right with that, Rev? Just to get a bite out of me. But, you know, fair play, I didn't until this one day. So before I tell you this story, has anyone got a pet dog? Lovely, right. What you need to know about me is I love Dogs, I love pet dogs, so please um, uh, <laughs> don't judge me. That's all I'm going to say, right? So anyway, this particular day, he came into the dressing room, it's near Christmas time, and he says, what's all this beeping babe in a beeping manger about? What a lot of beep, beep, beep. It was so blasphemous. It was just bang out of order. Even the boys gasped at the audacity. And he did. He got under my skin. I'm human. And I knew how to get under his skin because 
He also loved dogs. He had a pet dog who actually he kept as his screensaver in his phone rather than his girlfriend. That's how much he loved this dog, right? So I knew how he got under his skin. Okay, before I tell you this, I love dogs, okay? <laughs> I love dogs. I would never wish any harm in any dogs. I love dogs. You heard that? I love dogs. I said to him, I hope your dog dies. <laughs> I was only joking, right? But I knew it would upset him. And he was absolutely horrified. And his bottom lip began to tremble. I can't believe you've said that, Rev. Well, the rest of the boys thought this was hilarious, and they says, well, that's it. <laughs> the Rev's just cursed your dog, it's dead. <laughs> when you go home the day your dog's gonna be lying on its back and its legs are gonna be stretched to the heavens, it's dead. And they all started singing, the Rev's cursed your dog, the Rev's cursed your dog. E-I-E-R-E-O, the Rev's cursed your dog, it's dead. And that's what they sang, you see. So anyway, we're running around the pitch before we get into full training. And he says to me, Rev, I'm really sorry. I, I know I've pushed your buttons this morning and I've upset you, so I'm sorry. Please will you pray for my dog? Because I'm really, <laughs> really worried about it. So of course, I'm very calm. And I'm saying, oh, mate, you don't need to worry about your dog. It's you, you should have a good look at it in the mirror. You're such a blasphemer. You need to cut that out. Don't worry about your dog. Inside... I'm praying, oh Lord, please, please save that dog, Lord. Don't let anything happen to it. I'll never live this down. My reputation will be ruined, you know. I'm praying for his dog. And that afternoon, I get a text from him in block capital letters. Rev, my dog's alive. Thanks for praying. So, oh. so I text him back. I says, right, Marco, we're playing away at Ross County. See if you score tomorrow. I want you to sink to your knees, lift your arms in the air and give praise to God for his goodness to you. I will, he says. The next day we played Ross County. We beat them 5-2. I wish I was talking about the last time we played them at Ross County, but I'm not. But anyway, he sank to his knees and he raised his hands in praise. And the boys just flattened him. But <laughs> that's what he was like, right? So he was a wind-up merchant. So you can imagine then this day when he says to me, Rev, <coughs> I'm really struggling, mate. <coughs> I've got this respiratory problem, hang, it's a virus, and the doc says he doesn't know what it is, and, and, and there's nothing they can do for me. <clears throat> he says, but I'm getting taken off after 60 minutes just now, and, and eventually the gaffer's just going to drop me altogether. He says, will you pray for me? He's like, will I pray for you? Aye, I'm serious, Rev. No taking the mickey. Right, okay. I says, I will pray for you. I says, but another option is I could pray with you. What's that? I says, well, I says, if I pray for you, I'll be doing that at a distance. I can do that from the house. But if I pray with you, I'd, I'd lay my hand on you. I says, sometimes that just provides a better connection with God somehow and, you know, something can happen. No chance, Rev. I've seen that God channel. It's mental. I've seen all these people flying off the stage and all that kind of stuff. No, not for me that. He says, if you put your hand in me, he says, I'll probably get zapped by God and get electrocuted. So it's no happening. I says, that's fine. Just pray for me. I will, I will, I will. That was fine. So this was the Friday and the Saturday. Uh, me and Aileen are coming down to the game and my phone goes and, and it's Mark. He says, Rev, I'm really struggling today, Rev. I'm worse. Can you pray for me? I says, I will, mate. I says, but mind the offer still there to pray with you. I thought, I'm, I'm going to take the mickey out of him now. So he says, no, no, you're all right, Rev. Just pray for me, for me. That's fine. So I arrived at the ground. I walk in the player's entrance and he grabs me. Rev, pray with me. Desperate times, desperate measures. I says, right, no bother. So we found the wee, the only place that was private, it was the boot room. If I can explain to you what a boot room is, it's a room with boots. And that's all there is, it's tiny. 
So there's basically all these shelves of boots and then there's a tiny wee stool about that size that you basically sit on to clean the boots, you see? So I says, take a seat. So he sat down in this tiny wee seat, right? And I'm over him with my hand on his chest. And I just said, look, don't worry about this. We'll just pray and see what God does, right? But as I'm doing this, the tea girl walks in on us. Now imagine what this looks like. This woman walks into this tiny little room with a fella sitting on a tiny stool with another fella with his hand in his chest. How do you explain that? It's, it's no easy. And she just said, oh, uh, you're busy. Uh, sorry, I walked out. And I said, I says, what was she doing coming into the boot room with a cup of tea anyway? Doesn't it really make sense? None of it makes sense. So I prayed for him. He went out and he played 90 minutes, no problem. And he played every game the rest of the season. He was healed. And I thought, wow, Lord, he's going to get saved. And he didn't. He? And it was almost as if it had never happened. He never even mentioned it again until this day. He'd now become a manager at Air United Football Club. And I went down to appoint a new chaplain. And I went down to see him. And I walked into his office and he's got all his coaching staff running about him. And I walked in and he says, hey, boys. This is my pal, the ref here. Let me tell you a story. God healed me. Aye, that's it. The one that you think I sign off 666 and everything. No, he says, God healed me. He says, through the ref, he says, God loves even me. If God loves me, he must love everybody, eh, ref? Now, he's still not saved. It's really frustrating. But he's at another club management and I haven't given up on him. But it's that kind of way because he's able to take the mickey out of me, I can get right in there with him as well. I'm trusting that God at some point will put his hand upon him. But that's one of the things you need to be ready for. If there's anybody else here today and you're open to the opportunity of chaplaincy, just know you can't afford to take yourself too seriously, but you can believe God to do amazing things through you. Because it doesn't actually depend on your ability. All he's interested in is your availability. If you're available to the Lord this morning, step up. But if you're not into sport, every single one of us in the house this morning is called to be a chaplain somewhere. It might be the shop you work, it might be the university you go to, it might be the neighborhood you live in, but everybody's called to be a chaplain. Everybody's called to get out the salt shaker. This is a salt shaker. This is where you get filled with the salt, but that's where the salt does the business. So be prepared for God to use you wherever you might go. We're all called to be salt of the earth. Amen. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.com.